you so much for tuning into this episode of the Black Catalyst Podcast. It's me, Kyle, your host. And today we're going to be talking to Dr. Ebony. She's a licensed psychologist, and she recently just had a pre-order for her, her cards, my therapy cards. And today we're going to talk about self-exploration and the journey to understanding yourself. So Dr. Ebony, in the first part of the podcast, I really want to get into understanding you, building the context around your journey to becoming a licensed psychologist and creating my therapy cards. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. No doubt. So what originally, when you were, when did you decide that psychology was going to be a path for you? Yeah. So for me, it it honestly started in high school. Um, I took a, I had the liberty of taking, uh, or the luxury rather of taking a psychology course in high school because most of us aren't introduced uh, to psychology until college. So I had a, I had a teacher at that time who, one day he was just like, I was so fascinated with it. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to stop calling you Ebony and I'm going to call you Dr. Burrell, which is my maiden name. And I was well, like, well, why tough. that? He was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, because I'm go- you're going to be a doctor. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I accept the challenge. And so I went to undergrad with the idea of studying depression in Black people um, and understanding mm-hmm. how first-generation college students dealt with and coped with depression. And so that was just kind of like the work that I did while I was there. And the college that I went to did not have a counseling center. And I just always knew that I felt like that was really ridiculous. But I understand that the lack of resources now, I understand that Mm. the lack of resources for mental health as it relates to uh, Black communities, other marginalized communities just is not there. Um, And so at the time, I just could not fathom. I was like, oh, this university doesn't really care about our mental health needs. And it's not that the mental health industry doesn't really care about the needs of, of Black people many times. Um, And so as I matriculated, I went to uh, a master's program and majored in clinical psychology. And I thought I wanted to study like more severe. Can you hear me? I thought I wanted to study more severe mental illness. And then I recognized that that was more aligned with a medical model of symptomatology and pathology. And I really did not want to see people as symptoms. I really Mm -hmm. wanted to see people as people and treat people as people. And so I got a doctorate in counseling psychology versus clinical. Counseling psychology allowed me to kind of look more at the strengths that people present with um, versus Mm -hmm. the the symptoms that they present with. And it allowed me to explore different things like sexual stereotyping in Black women, um, sort of systemic issues that that exist for different marginalized groups. And you just don't find that type of work being done in the clinical psychology space. So that's kind of how I went from having the idea planted to actually becoming a licensed psychologist. Gotcha. I like the fact how you talked about like the depression and that was one of the biggest motivators for you because there's a lot of people in the community who we were quick to ignore the fact that we have feelings because yeah. we're just yeah. often taught like, you know, just get over it. Like you'll be okay. You know, everybody struggles. So you just got to push through it and hope that you come out on the other end a better person. But for most people, that's never really the case because there's so much there that needs to be unpacked. And if it's never unpacked, people are just going to continually be in a mindset where they feel like, oh, you just always got this weight on your shoulders that you got. Yeah. And to live life with a weight on your shoulders is probably very difficult. It's very difficult and it's very depressing. Yeah. My question is like, a lot of people, especially like with the industry of psychology, people say, oh, there's no money in it, things like that. Can you talk about different ways that somebody who's interested in psychology on a path of wanting to, you know, do something like you do, how they could find different ways to monetize in that field? I love this question and I'm smiling so hard because I think <laughs> it's funny. I, when I got into psychology, I would always hear people tell me, you know, you're not going to make any money, right? And I was just like, I know these people are not talking to me. Like, 
They are not talking to me. I don't know what y'all think, but I am not going to school to get a doctor to not make any money. But that right. is what we were always told. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're not going to make any money. And I said, well, tell me what I cannot we'll do and I'll show you what I can do. Right. right. And so I always knew that. I, so I, I kind of went to the place where I knew I had the better chance of making a higher salary than my peers. So I went to mm-hmm. the actual VA versus a, a private sector. Um, I went to the VA hospital and, and starting out in the VA, psychologists make more money than you would if you worked at a counseling center. Gotcha. So I kind of always look for opportunities where I would have space to be able to make more money. Um, now, are you going to be rich doing that? No, because it's working with the federal government and your, uh, your rates and your salaries are capped. Mm-hmm. However, there are so many different ways that I started to kind of like think about ways that I could become like create multiple streams of income. And yeah, so this gotcha. is where my entrepreneurial kind of side started to, to kind of like take shape. And so in 2015, I knew I've always wanted to kind of have my own thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I started a business um, and that was a coaching business. And I really started around health and wellness until I kind of like really became comfortable because if you know anything about the field of psychology, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of ethics that we have to make sure that we're not crossing a lot of boundaries. We have to make sure that we're staying within. And so I was very scared to be honest, to actually kind of fly on my own as an entrepreneur in psychology because I, in coaching, because I didn't want people to think that I was trying to do both because I know that there's a lot of gatekeeping in psychology and we need to protect the public too because it's really easy to exploit your clients in that space. So for a long time, I built my client, I built my built, I built my business around coaching. And then when I got comfortable with myself as a provider, I got comfortable with myself as an entrepreneur. Then I started to open up uh, myself to do private practice in psychology. Um, And so that's, that started to take shape around 2018. And so I became, I opened up my own private practice to where I could practice with people in ways that I felt comfortable, Um, still ethical, still within boundaries, but really understanding for myself versus somebody else telling me, oh, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. Um, Because as black people in this field, this is a field that was created and started by white people, white men. And Mm -hmm. so it really is difficult for uh, one, for people of color to enter this field. And so mm-hmm. people of color have a very hard time um, in this field because of the, the, the eyes that watch, the kind of things that people tell you you're not supposed to do and people placing their opinions onto you. At least that was my experience and a lot of kind of like gatekeeping from white bodies around how I practice as a black provider. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I built my confidence as a black provider for me to be able to step out on my own. And so I created space where I could provide coaching. I could provide um workshops i can do consulting i can do speaking and so i have so many different ways to get money yeah yeah all these different ways right and that is actually how my therapy cards was born too i was like okay Mm -hmm. i i have this and i know and i know i don't know if this is going to be one of your questions but i created the cards out of a need um because Mm -hmm. of the access issues that exist in mental health for people of color got you you go a little more about like in terms of like the because I know the whole concept of the my therapy cards is like the self-exploration aspect. Can you talk a little bit about like a person's journey in self-exploration? Yeah. So if I back up a little bit and so the field of mental health, I love it, but it's almost like being born into a family that you recognize 
has been telling lies for a very long time. Oh, and I, I love, like, I love the fields and I love the work that we do, but it, there's a lot of things that are not actually really helpful for people of color and marginalized groups. So mm. like access to care, quality health care. We all know the insurance companies kind of gatekeep the amount of care that people can get. And so mm. uh, we have to remember that if you think about fraud and you think about all these people, like this field was created by, by white men. And so the concept and the ideas around what is going on with people or wrong with people comes from a lens of white supremacy. And so we're looking at all of this from a white person's lens of what is right, what is wrong. And sometimes that does not take who we are culturally into consideration. And mm. our resources are not there for certain communities. That's what I mean mm. by kind of like the lies, right? Mm. And then if you think about kind of like all the experiments that were done, and, and it really makes people of color, marginalized groups, really skeptical of people in this field because of the ways that they practice unethically. And so mm. there's this stigma that exists um, a lot of the diagnosis being swayed one side, one sided for people of color over over um, others, and so us and our children having more um, severe types of diagnoses based on how we're presenting than other groups, and just the the disproportionate rate by which we're diagnosed versus others, it just kind of really presents us in this. It kind of reinforces this idea that when we behave, we're behaving out of this pathological place and not behaving out of kind of like the systemic kind of racism places, so to speak. So when you look at the news, even around kind of like all that's been happening, the way that they describe people protesting as looters and violent, just think mm. about the way that those, yeah. those labels carry and who they're being placed on and what those people look like that that's being placed on. And so if that's the label that people are getting, it really does kind of make people afraid of you. It really does kind of uh, create this stigma or this idea that you are a violent, incompetent person. And I decided that I wasn't going to practice along that model, which is one of the reasons that I left clinical psychology and went to counseling psychology, um, because I wanted to look at the person and have a more person-centered approach versus a mm. symptom approach. Because when you go to the doctor, the doctor is looking at what's wrong with you and kind of like tell me where it hurts so that I can fix where it hurts. And they don't really mm. all the time want to know how you, the person, are doing, they're there to fix a symptom. That's their job. And so I didn't want to practice that way. And so that's why I, one, don't accept insurance is because insurance um, forces you to really diagnose people in order to get reimbursed for payment. And a lot of people don't know that. And they're like, well, why? Why so many Black providers don't accept insurance? And it's really because a lot of us, one, aren't compensated for the rates that we feel are commensurate to our work. And then we're forced to diagnose it when pathology may not even be there. And so in order for me to get reimbursed from a session and I just met you say, this was a session here, I have to find a diagnosis for you. Even if there is not one presenting itself, I have to find a diagnosis well, for you, I send it to the insurance that. company. And that, in, and that one is, it, or otherwise I'm not gonna get reimbursed. And insurance companies have the ability to say, we're gonna reimburse for this diagnosis, we're not gonna reimburse for that one. And I don't think that that's okay. <laughs> and so I choose not to accept insurance and I know that my rates are higher. So my rates are higher. So I know people who I want to work with can all the time access me. And so I do things like pro bono work. I do things like um, sliding scale, but I also recognize that that's not enough. And so the, the cost that is there, that sometimes is a barrier for people getting care, access to quality providers, 
um, is a is a thing that makes it difficult for people to kind of do the self exploration work. So my therapy cards were created to kind of mitigate these issues gotcha, and okay. provide a low cost resource for people who can to actually do the work that is necessary to help elevate themselves and going beyond the affirmations that we sometimes hear or the self care that we sometimes see on social media, but really providing people some quality resources and questions prompts that can actually have them do the work as if they were working with a, a provider. Now, it doesn't substitute the work of therapy, but it actually provides questions that get at those things that we need those to issues, explore within yeah. ourselves to help us either figure out if we want to go to therapy or figure out what the issues are that we want to talk about in therapy or just kind of explore on our own things that we may not have even known are there. And I definitely, I like that idea too, because most people don't even think about trying to understand themselves until yeah. it's like too late. Like when it's to the point where it's like, oh, maybe I should have spent more time actually trying to figure out who yeah. I was than trying to be who the world wants me to be. And like you yeah. touched on specifically, you watching the news, especially as a black person, you see certain things that you feel you kind of got to subscribe to the narrative. Like maybe that is what our people are. Maybe yeah. that is what we do. Or maybe we are the type of people that just don't care and things of that yeah. nature. Um, Mike, I want to get into... Like specifically, like when you left your job to create your private practice, especially like in a client-based role, was it difficult like trying to like find clients? Yeah, so I actually have not left my job. I actually still do oh, all this you. with uh, a full-time job. Oh, um, no, I ain't even yeah. know. <laughs> no, yeah, it's just, it, it's just I, I like to make my life difficult in, in that way. But I actually really love what I do. Um, and so I don't want to, like, I'm not one of those people who kind of place the either, either you work for yourself or you don't. I think that we can do whatever we want to do and we can have options. So right now my private practice is just part-time and it's full. Um, so I basically have a caseload that is, it, it fills up really quickly, um, which I'm, I'm blessed uh, to, to be able to have. And it's really a shame too, um, because I live in Austin. And when I first got to Austin, um, I was the, the only black psychologist woman who was practicing. We have about three more female, black female psychologists now, but I was one, I was by myself for a while. And so mm. that's why I, I filled up really quickly because we don't have a lot of black representation in this city um, mm. amongst providers, period. And so that is, while it's a business, I would call it a good market to be in, it's really sad at the same time because we need more resources and we need more people here who are practicing. So having the private practice actually gives me an opportunity to work with a clientele that I really am passionate about. Not to say that I'm not passionate about working with the group that I work with at my work, but I'm really passionate about making sure that black people have a space where they feel like they can come and be seen and it's just for them. And we're talking about social justice issues without worrying about what politics we're crossing. Because when you mm. work in an organization, you kind of have to be aware of all those issues mm. and not worrying about kind of like the, the whether or not they're going to get in trouble. Because a lot of times we're talking about racial trauma that's happening in the workplace. And so being able to provide them with that space to be able to talk about that freely is definitely healing for them, is rewarding for me. And I'm just happy to be able to provide that space. And it's not been... The only thing that I say has been tough is just juggling my time around mm. private practice and also still having a full-time job while also still trying to run an online coaching business. So just managing my time. And the cards, time. too. Yeah. And the cards. Like, all of that is just 
Um, so I, I really am kind of off only one day, like Sundays, but mm. I really don't feel like I work on the weekends, if that makes sense. Cause those, those are the only days I do my private practices on the weekends, but mm. I really don't feel like it's work. And I really you feel, feel like it's my fault. Sorry. You feel like it's like therapeutic for you to do it as well. Yes. I got yes. you. Yes. It's recharging. So it refuels me. It re it kind of energizes me. I love doing it. And so I don't feel torn or stretched, you know? Um, so in terms of like, you, I know you spoke on the insurance aspect and how like insurance doesn't really, you know, support it that much. Do you feel like in terms of insurance wants you to diagnose so they can go get some type of medication on the back end? Oh, listen. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I think that, I think they're all in each other's pockets. I think that mm. insurance and pharmaceutical companies, all these people, like I think they're in cahoots together and, and insurance is a business. Right. Mm. So being the gatekeepers for and, and I recognize that sometimes with insurance is the only way people can get care, Med mm. medical care, mental health care. Um, and it's set up in that way to make it more affordable. And I feel like sometimes insurance doesn't really do a good job of making sure that people are getting quality care, because if they were, I don't think that they'd be forced they be forcing a diagnosis on people. I don't know why that's a criteria, but it may have something to do with, you know, the, the, um, the billing and getting reimbursed. And it's all tied back to the medical industry. Cause if you think about it, if you, if you've ever gone to a doctor, the doctor has to put down a diagnosis in order to get paid with their insurance company. So you may have a stomach ache. They have a particular code for that. They're treating the flu. They have a particular code for that. If you go in for something, an insurance company says, no, we're not paying for that because that's cosmetic. Like all of these things that they are willing to pay for and not pay for, like they're dictating the amount of care that we can get, the type of care that we can get. And I don't think that those same things need to be applying to the mental health field all the time. I think there needs to be more leniency. Like they wouldn't, when COVID started, insurance companies didn't even want to pay for teletherapy. They were oh, telling wow. people that they were going to have to come out of their pocket for teletherapy. It makes no sense because we can't go anywhere. We're all going to stay at home orders and you're not going to pay for people to get care. This is just how behind they are um, with recognizing the need that actually exists. And so sometimes those diagnoses or needing to diagnose sometimes presents itself as a barrier too, especially if somebody is not presenting with any symptoms, then you have a BS diagnosis left on them just so you can get reimbursed. Mm. So it makes it difficult. I believe that de there is definitely something to kind of how they're all interwoven. Yeah, because just in like the medical industry in general too, I feel like just to your point, like they really try to push things on people. And like the more research I've been doing in like the medical space, there's a lot of holistic ways that you could go about taking care of simple things that they'll be like, oh, you got to take this medicine, take that medicine, or you got to go do this, that, and the third. And I do feel like it ties in, especially in this space, the fact that insurance companies are a business and they want to get policies. They want to make people pay money every month so they can keep that in their pockets. And I do think it's problematic to mix business with something like mental health, because if you're, if you're starting to profit off of someone's well-being, then you no longer see them as a person. You see them as a check. Bingo. And when you start seeing people as a check, it's just, it creates a larger issue that I think that America in general needs to understand people are more than just money or the amount of money they can produce. Bingo. You articulated that well. Very, like, I, I didn't even, like, put it in that, those, you know, those, that wording, that language. You, that's it. That's it. You see people as money. Mental health is not about um, seeing people mm -hmm. as money. You're talking about somebody's life. 
and, mm-hmm. and being able to dictate whether or not they need, they get the appropriate treatment and denying bills when people are suicidal and saying, you're not going to pay that. And you're, you're only going to pay a certain, like it is ridiculous. And that really does get in the way of people being able to be well, get well, live well. And it, it definitely like creates this cycle where we become dependent on, on um, the insurance companies to be able to pay for our care. And they really don't care about the health and well-being. They care about the bottom line, which is the money. That's true. And I really like as well how you say you do like some pro bono work, you do stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because especially like even to go back to what you were saying earlier about how, you know, a lot of the things that we like to indulge in is through a white lens. Like everything we learn is through the white lens. So trying to unlearn that and trying to relearn it, people look at you like, what are you, why are you doing it like that? You can just do it this way or that way. It's like, we are so programmed in one way to try to deprogram ourselves and then reprogram it in a way that's more comfortable for us. It's such a difficult process. Yeah. But I love the fact that you're able to like see clearly, like, I mean, it's cool doing it this way, but I love to do it this way because yeah. it helps bring more joy to me. Yeah, I wasn't always I like that, though. To, uh, oh, oh, really? Yeah, I, no, 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 no. This is all, I feel like I was asleep for a long time, and then I woke up. It's, it's really like being in a family, like, really, like, because if you think about going to college, going to school, all of that I learned was from a white lens. And they're not going to tell me this. They're not going to mm-hmm. have me have these epiphanies. And so... It's, and, and then they make you really afraid to even think outside the box because we all have to get licensed, right? And we all have to graduate. Like, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and then you just are really afraid to question. So it's just like questioning your parents. Like, I don't want to say anything. That's going to make me seem weird. Yeah. It's, it's going to make me an outcast. And so I'm just now finding my comfort and my voice in speaking out against kind of like how colonized mental health really is. Do you, especially in the space of like, the the cars now I, I really i really just like the idea so much like when i saw it, i was like it makes so much sense and i feel like we need more so specifically like how was the process of you like getting them like created like was it like a time like you just said like one day i'm gonna just do all that it was like a process of over time it, it happened over time it, it it happened with me taking data i was like what are the things that because i had this idea i think back in 2018 or so and i was like mm. i want to create a car deck I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what, what is going to happen, but I was like, I want to create it. And I never said anything about it to anybody, um, except for, I think like a marketing coach or my sister, somebody like that. And then I just sat on it, sat on it, sat on it. And I kind of did research on my own. I was like, what are the questions that I'm asking my clients the most? What are the things that I'm seeing the most? So I created a framework where I think there are three areas that we mainly get stuck in that gets in the way of us actually doing the exploration work and really understanding ourselves in a deeper way, in a more effective way. And that's, I think that we have, we get stuck with our mindset. We get, we have issues with habits. So engaging in thoughts and behaviors that just are cyclical for us and really not serving us, but are done out of habit. And then our triggers. So not responding to things in ways that are actually effective. So that's our coping skills. Mm. So mindset, habits, triggers. And so I, um, organize the card deck into those three categories. So there are three, there are 12 cards per category that gets at your mindset, gets at your habits, gets at your triggers, right? And so I created questions within those that I commonly ask my clients. So even if, and this is what I really love about being able to create this kind of resource, because I'm asking you clients that I'm asking you questions that people pay for me to actually digest, kind of not digest, um, tease apart kind of like work through in session. 
So you're mm-hmm. getting quality questions that actually work to help you with self-exploration. It's not just some like look in the mirror and tell yourself you, you love yourself. While I love that stuff, this helps to go a little bit deeper, a little mm-hmm. bit deeper. So I ask questions like, what are some things you need to forgive yourself for? What are some habits that you keep engaging in that you know are not working for you? What do you do in response to feeling shame? Those kinds of things. And these are questions that I ask that help us to explore kind of and become more aware of ways that we're showing up, things that we're doing that we probably aren't even on our minds, that we're mind, we're not mindful of, that if we pay more attention to, we can begin to course correct and then show up better and more effective. Mm, so it took time for me to just kind of gather what are some common questions yeah no, I, I like the design so much if you're listening to the podcast please go and check out the website <laughs> the website is mytherapycards.com right 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 right. yeah go to my therapy card when you go on the website you're already convinced to buy it. you're already convinced <laughs> so go to the website it's a really good website go check it out um i know you you know we're a little we're coming to the end of right now so if you let the people know where they go follow you Yes, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all the same handle at Dr. Ebony Online. And you can go to drebony.com to find out more about my services. You can also, there's a link there to my therapy cards. Um, you, could do, you could do like a consultation like this. Somebody was not necessarily in like Texas. They could do it this way too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah yep. So and definitely I, yeah. go to her website, check it out. You know, she's working hard. You see two jobs, my therapy cards, you know, definitely give. Give it a shot, right? <laughs> I, I appreciate that. This is a very good conversation. I could talk on and on about it. But thank you so much for having me and providing this space for me to provide information to your audience. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I do appreciate it. If you're tuning into a podcast, make sure you follow Black Catalyst on everything. And we're out.